now, say now. You're tuned into the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. We are here at the Momentum Studios in the city of Portland, Oregon. Myself, Spencer Shea. What up? Another week, man, with nothing to talk about. Well, talk y- to me. You know, that's just how it goes. That's just how it goes sometimes, man. It's summer, man. Exactly. We're, we're a sports central podcast. It's for sure. At some point, you know what I mean? We gotta, we're going to run into some walls here and there. We've been doing this for over six years, bro. Yeah, no, nah, it's crazy, man. I went back to, you know, I've been doing these Tuesdays with Justin over at 620 on <laughs> yeah. Rip City Radio. Yeah. And it's funny because when me and Justin had our show back in 2017, mm. the show launched in like early June. So it was like during the NBA Finals. So we had a lot to talk about for like a week or two with the NBA Finals going on and then obviously the aftermath of it. And then after that, we're talking about food uh, and any other hot topic that we can find because not a lot of sports is happening during this time of the year, at least the ones that people around here care about much. So, yeah, it definitely is that time period where, you know, we try to figure things to talk about. And then when I was there on Tuesday, we're chopping it up. We're talking about Dame for the third or fourth week at this point. I'm so Damn, sick of talking. Oh, my gosh. I'm so sick of talking that about nausea. that every Tuesday that I come on to the show. Me being the basketball analyst, so, it's like it's cool. Dame? But yeah, right. I, tried to even throw, I tried to even throw him alive because I was just at Dame's private listening party on Saturday for yeah. his new album that's about to drop. So I even hit him up beforehand like, man, let's, let's talk about this. Like, we don't the have to talk about is Dame going to be a blazer or not for the fourth week in a row. And he still, it's his show though, he still wanted to talk about Dame and whether or not he'll be traded. So well, you know what? I roll with the punches, but you know damn, what? I'm sick of talking about no, that. No, you know what, man? <laughs> I, it's because of the Portland fan base. It's because of the the, yeah. the sickness. I get it. I know why. Portland Trailblazer fan. For sure. For and sure. And that's what's going to drive engagement on an already plummeting <laughs> So, yeah, talk about Dame yeah. all day long. For sure. No, I get why. It's just I'm tired of it. And I'm like, obviously, I have that radio muscle because I worked in radio. But – it's been a while since I've worked in radio or been like this consistent on a radio show like I have been with Justin. So I kind of just forgot because I haven't had to operate that way in a really long time. And so now having to operate that way, it's like, damn, we talking about this again? Can we please talk about something else? Well, let's just get some ads. <laughs> right. Ads <laughs> right, right. Uh, wind shares, what are we doing this week? Friday and Saturday, back to back. I will be... At Lulu Bar, so it'll be an R&B weekend for me. Um, usually I'm at Bible Club on Sundays, won't be there. Some Thursdays too as well, won't be there right after I record this. I'm usually recording this podcast and then heading straight from the studio to go DJ. But um, Sunday I won't be there. I got to go to Los Angeles for family stuff. But Friday and Saturday, back to back like a Drake track, I will be at Lulu Bar, so pull up, man. Get your R&B on. It'll be a vibe both nights. I'm obviously there every Friday night, but Saturdays get pretty popping around there as well. So I've been kind of building out the Fridays there, but Thursdays and Saturdays has been their days for, like, years. And so, you know, I don't mind being able to get in on one of those Saturdays and get to it. So pull up, come out, come have a good time. Also, Pacific University football schedule is out, so go to GoBoxers.com. If you want to check it out, you can also go to the GoBoxers social media as well. Check it out. I'll be on the call for those games. 
The home games will be on Coin6 this year, so excited about that to go from the live stream to local television. It will be lit. It will be a vibe. And uh, you never know what I'm going to say. I'm, I've been going through some clips today, right, Spencer? And <laughs> it was a clip that I had today of me and you. It was a basketball clip. It wasn't football specific, but it was a basketball clip. And there was something to the extent of I was like saying what the score was as I was doing play by play. And then I was saying the time that was on the clock and the time that was on the clock was, was 420. 420. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and we just started talking about weed on the I mean, we didn't talk about weed explicitly. Well, we, we, we did we it said, in a roundabout way, yeah. but we talked about the holiday that is 420. That's for sure. That. <laughs> I'm like, damn, we we kind of get out there on the call. So. Local Portlanders, if you hear me talk about a holiday called 420, it's yeah. only because that's the amount of time that's on the score clock. It's this not isn't because good uh, podcast, but I re- I'm trying to remember what we were saying during election night. I remember during yeah, election we wilded night, out on we were wilding yeah. out. Some parents reached out. At least they liked it though, because you're obviously running a risk talking about politics in that way during a live game. But Dude, it's sketchy. we went hard. I think about it all the time because when you're podcasting. You can say, I can say whatever I want right now, especially with the added benefit of like Zeb right back here and Devon be like, okay, that was probably wild. So let's cut that. Real yeah. Quick. So you can do that. We don't do that here at the podcast, of course, but you have to be on your P's and K's. I mean, you're, I'm representing, we're representing the NCAA yeah. and all of their <laughs> hollow backwards ass rules. You know what I mean? Right. So, well, for what it's worth. And so I just, I get sketched out all the time. Like I remember <laughs> that one time. Uh, that ref kept missing those calls and that dude kept getting his shoulder dislocated and then the, yeah. the fans started to get mad and I said something like I was just kidding but I was like yeah we're gonna get like some security to escort him to the parking lot so he's alright and I yeah. he looked at me like yeah I don't know about that I don't know if that's gonna work champ I don't know if that's gonna work and I thought about it immediately I was like yeah that wasn't right I just said that we're gonna beat up this referee like no that's not gonna <laughs> what am I talking about it was funny as hell bro but I'm yeah. excited for the I'm excited for the season I'm I'm hoping that you know, especially for football, you know, if there's a space, I might slide in. Cause might I, get I, hit you some, in there. I hit some games. Uh, you uh, did. Last you year. did a couple games. You did a couple games with me last had year. No, so I had no idea what yeah. I was doing. I <laughs> mean, football is di- obviously we do every basketball game together, but yeah. football is a little different. Um, the yeah. rhythm of it is different. The flow of it is different. You got. Again, being able to see down there, see basketball is usually a little better because you're in a smaller environment. A a, a 94-feet court is not nearly as big as a 100-yard football field. So it's like on the field, it's a lot happening in a lot of different areas of the field. You got to, like, cover a lot of ground with your eyes. But you also, at least in my position as play-by-play, I'm following the ball. So I need somebody next to me that's looking at everything else because I don't know what's happening in the backfield, in the defensive backfield more so in particular. I might not be able to catch what route a wide receiver is running because or, or even, I'm or trying even to look at the quarterback like be that. rushed by a defensive lineman and seeing yeah. if he can escape that yeah. or is the lineman going to get a sack? What are we going to have here? So it definitely is a little different, but it's fun. Though. The environment is lit, though. That football environment, the energy is, is OD. Yeah, I mean, as long as, you know, I, I what I think, I, again, I think that the where it's going is because the personalities are going to get so big and they're going to be so specific in broadcasting. Mm. The way that it's set up right now is that you can do it from anywhere, anytime, and pick a platform. Right. You can live simulcast a professional event. For sure. You know what I'm saying? And and stream it on Twitch or YouTube. And so I think that it's going to become a lot more interactive. <clears throat> and I think that 
getting ahead of that as like organizations and, and just even your, like the equipment that you have, like get, get the broadcasters in the environment where the fans can hear what they're, what's being said by them as it's happening. And they have a little bit of interaction with them. You yeah, know what I'm saying? For sure. Like you, like you just told, like you told me you basically did like play by play and color broadcasting live on a mic at that basketball tournament last week. Yes. Like that's where it's going to go. And it was very interactive, but I'm glad you, you talked about that. Cause we'll just segue. So in the last few weeks, if you will, and we've been away, so we never got a chance to talk about this, but let's get to it now. We had ESPN lay off some of their biggest talent, at least from what we know from a popularity standpoint. Don't know what the numbers were internally that determined why certain stars stayed and certain stars had to leave, so I won't get into that. But then also two weeks ago, you had the New York Times disband their sports section And now the athletic is they're going to rely on the athletic, which is a sports writing platform, but they're going to rely on the athletic for their coverage. And I think with the way that things are going, you know, you speak to, you know, these these institutions getting ahead of the curve, whether it be by way of equipment or whether it be by way of who it is, the talent that they're bringing in. But for the talent and And the commentators in particular, yeah, a lot's going to change in terms of what broadcasts sound like now, and it's not going to be the traditional what you used to, what you grew up on. Like, it's going to get a little more. (laughs) It's not going to be nearly as buttoned up. It's not going to be. You have to be able to have kind of a social element to you to be able to use that while you're broadcasting and talking about sports. And I think with sports coverage at large, that's the way that it's going and that's the way that it's trending. And that's why these publications are now going away from their sports coverage because they're realizing the sports coverage is just intersecting with every other news uh, genre that we have within our uh, publication, if you will, say in the New York Times case. So why don't we just have our sports journals start covering news and that way sports and news can come together. We can save some money and get rid of an entire department in sports, but we can still cover sports in a way where it's still newsy because it intersects with so many other sections of the newspaper. So you got to be able well, to diversify okay, your game a little but, bit to play this game now. But I don't necessarily agree with that series of moves in this in the sense that you're basically I'm just, not saying I agree with it. I'm just telling you well, what's happening. Well, but go time, for it. Like you're essentially like syndicating your your sports journalism yeah. by going to somebody who's better than you. Okay, fine. But and then you're going oh, that that argument. Oh, well, then you can add these guys, you know, have these guys have a more diverse sort of journalistic uh you know, station. Yeah. They don't necessarily just specifically color sports. It's like, okay, yeah, but both times you haven't covered the main issue is that you don't have talent on your roster to fill out those departments to make them lucrative and to make them valuable at your specific publication. Yeah. And so I don't think it's a good idea to then be like, okay, well, if that's the case, I guess just throw your hands up in the air and just start chopping heads and cutting whole departments out. I agree. Because it's like now all, now all you're doing is you're just furthering the decay of journalism as a whole. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and 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 that because it's about money now. It's about, you know, how are we making money? A lot of these people are making money by way of the internet, whether it be streaming, whether it be clicks, whatever the case may be, not particularly by print or one of these older ways that, you know, journalists initially got paid and having this print subscription model that people can get to their front door and whatever the case may be. And even 
with how on-demand news is through just all of these different blogs and platforms, it's harder to get people to want to subscribe to subscribe to your internet publication because I can get this information from anywhere for free. It's going to end up being a social media post that's just much more condensed. And then if you're one of those people that care about actually reading the newspaper or reading the news or whatever the case may be, you might go get a subscription. But most people aren't that way. They read the headline. They think they they make an opinion. They go tweet about it, and then we're on to the next hot topic or we're on to the next current event that's going to happen 30 seconds afterwards on another viral post. So, again, I think having that real talent and being able to have a diversified talent is what will help you now. So don't be afraid if you're young and you're yeah. coming into the sports journalist, journalism space, the sports sections ain't here no more. So you got to be willing to— You have to create your own avenues. You, you have to create your own but, avenues. But you know where it's hard is that—and you know, you know what I'm going to say. Money talks and bullshit walks. And it's like you have to pay to play here. You can't sure. just, and I mean, even right down to like, if you're going to synthesize the way that you give out this content and it's just social media, then don't hire the, the VP's 24 year old, you know, nephew to be the social media Facts. person, hire, Facts. hire a talented journalist that has some sort of, I mean, and, and give a damn about credentials necessarily. Uh-huh. What about just hunger for the passion in the sport of journalism? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. I mean, I, I hate to keep use you as an example continually, but it's like you you went into sports media totally, essentially green and blind, and like had no, not even necessarily an interest in doing it for as sure. your job. Yeah, but but it got you. Hey, but because the best there's something thing, to that, you know. But the best thing and what I thought was the worst thing that it was like a loss turning into a lesson happened to me at that time. I get into the sports journalism space, and within six months after me graduating, in two weeks me walking the stage because I like was a winter grad I was a winter grad because I was a transfer student so I didn't actually get to walk in the spring but within that time period I get an entry-level job and then a few months later become a full-time host in the top 25 market that doesn't happen I'm on cloud nine at that point in time like who does this who gets in here becomes a a, a board operator for a few months and then end up getting a, a three hour a day, five day a week radio show, not something at 23 years old it's in that regard as well. It doesn't really happen that way. But guess what happened six months later? I was laid off, dropped off like a bad habit. Yep. So when I went through that experience and I was able to feel both of those emotions in such like a close range time wise, I'm like, OK, this business is going nowhere fast. So let me go ahead and my next job. Let me politicize this thing a little bit more. I'm still going to do my sports stuff. I got my sports podcast. I still do my live in-game sports commentary. I'm obviously going to follow sports because it's what I love, what I care about, and what I'm interested in. But I need to diversify my portfolio a little bit because if it's this easy, if if jobs are coming and going in this space like this, the only way that I'm going to be able to sustain in this space is to be able to kind of do it all. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And so that's why I've been able to still sustain now six years and seven years after that, where most people, and I've said it on here before, my guy Justin, shout out to him, love him to death. He's the host of the morning show on 620. I just talked about it. I go on his show every Tuesday. Justin, all he knows is sports radio. So Justin is one of those people that's just so committed and dedicated to the craft that he's cool with getting fired 
three and four and five times, but going to find a job elsewhere chalking it and stay chalking it up to the game because he knows that's what comes with it. And I respect his commitment, his dedication, and his passion for the craft to be willing to do that. They only had to fire me once, champ. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> for me to ever trust him in Yo. that way to where I don't have nothing else that I could fall back on. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I've been able to last because I keep diversifying the gigs. Yeah, I might be calling the games at Pacific, but I'm also calling them at Portland State. I might be, you know, writing for Street Roots, but, you know, I'm also going to do a TRT World News segment when I feel like it. because, And that's how I've been able to sustain all these years later, all these years later and not get caught up in that pattern of what people think sports journalism just is and is supposed to be of getting a job for very temporarily and then getting laid off and going to find another one somewhere clear cut across the country in a lot of cases. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I mean, to break that down even further, like it really comes down to how you value like your time and what you place value on your time about. Like, and and you, because everyone has to make so much money in like five, six, seven, eight, nine different revenue streams. So you have to divide your time up. Yeah. So much so that it becomes less valuable just by virtue of the fact that you're like, I got to work five and six different things. So I'm getting a couple hundred here or a thousand here. Where yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's like this accumulative thing. So you have to learn how to be like, no, no, no. I have to say that this is what my time costs. And this is what it's valued at, even if uh, you don't get those initial gains. Like, you know how it is, especially in this game. It's like you're going to have to take gigs that you don't get paid for. Absolutely. And you know what I mean? And you're going to have to take gigs where it's like, wow, this is really (laughs) demeaning to me, even in a way. You know, sometimes you feel that way. Yeah. I can't tell you how much stuff I've done for free. Yeah. But at the same time, now I'm at a point where. I'm making a legitimate living see, off you, of doing and, this, and I'm, see, and I'm not comfortable too. as far as, like, my passion and where it is that I want to go, but I'm comfortable in the sense that I'm not as my, – my stomach ain't touching my back the way that it was earlier on in the game or while I was doing all of that stuff for free. So, like, yeah, it, you you got to do that free shit to be able to get to that bag. Well, and also – you, but it's still, you have to Which advocate. sucks. No, but – Which sucks. For sure. If we but being the honest. lesson that you learn there is when it comes time – down the road, especially if you're dealing with companies and they start getting funny with the money, you speak up and you yeah. go, no, 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 no. This is how it's going to be. Yeah. Like I've been, I've been don't dealing with that, you know, really since post pandemic into the pandemic. And now I think it's become a lot more outstretched. Just everything is so wide open right now where yeah. it's like, you can really carve your own path, but you got to be diligent about it. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not good at that. I'm trying to get better, but what you think about Bo Motti, man, I don't like Bo even because Bo is actually somebody who, the, whose motto I follow. Like I he's just worry that he, one of those dudes. I mean, I just think they not worry, but it's like he should have just had his own thing going years ago. He should have just yeah. had his own independent podcast and yeah. just had that going and built up a Patreon subscriber base for or something sure. to that effect. And I don't think that it's going to be too hard for him to build something substantial up pretty quickly. Yeah, because he's got a huge because following and now. everyone's yeah. going to rock with him. All right. the people that already the Mark Spears of the world and stuff who like have a big time print, they're still going to. Well, you see Stephen A. Oh my gosh, Stephen yeah, A. He's uh, a different level, yeah, of celebrity. But, but even so with I can't that, their but even with him trajectory. being a, but even with him being a different level of celebrity, he still is at a point where he's realizing, 
oh, this sports thing is probably going to come to an end. So what does he do? He goes and creates his own podcast. And for a long time, Stephen A. was against that. Like, if you follow Stephen A., Stephen A. is pretty buttoned down about what he does. I'm doing my job. The big the big dogs at ESPN. I got to listen to them. I got to do it. I'm, I'm a company man. He yeah. ain't that dude no more. No, he's not. And, and obviously, he can afford to not be that dude now. So I get it from that perspective. But I think something else also clicked for him outside of just the monetary aspect of it, where it's like, if I want to continue to grow in this thing, I can cap out in this sports space. Now he's he's talking more. Po- you go just look at his social media. Is he posts? He's doing three podcasts a week now, and hardly any of them are about sports. He's on Fox News and not like he's he's diving into it. But I think you got to kind of got to be that guy, which is ultimately why I think Bomani will definitely land on his feet. But I just hate it because. Bomani's my guy, and that's really the only ESPN podcast that I actually listen to. Is Bo's podcast? I listen to Low Post. Shout out to Low Post. Yeah, I don't. Um, but I, to what you were saying too, of going independent, I'm gonna always say to start off independent, and I was able to learn that as an intern myself with Kanzano, who's the biggest sports journal right here in this market. And I'll never forget he and I were coaching a basketball team together. And you know, while That's we're at practice, yeah, we were coaching like a, a, a youth basketball team together. What was the name? Of and your team? as we, I forgot, zero <laughs> and thirty-eight it was a <laughs> terrible, talentless, talentless young Jesus basketball team. Christ. Oh my gosh, it was bad. Okay. And but I'm just helping my guy out. You know what I'm saying? I'm helping <laughs> him out. But gosh, he gave me nothing to work with. Um, but anywho, um, we were having a conversation at one of the practices. Is I'm starting to transition into the radio biz, and he's like, whatever you do, man, whatever you do, just start something independent. Start something independent. And I'm wondering why, because this is a dude who's had all of this success in the space and still is, but then I realized, oh, you got a radio show, and this is at the very beginning of when shows began to become podcasts where they started podcasting radio shows and they started podcasting, you know, all of these different things. And so I'm like, okay, but your podcast is doing all of these numbers. You doing well for the station and at the station, I could just kind of follow your path and be doing all right for myself. You know what I'm saying? But his ultimate point was, yeah, I do have this radio show and I do have this podcast but eventually I don't want to have to work for these people no more. And the fact that I've built out this platform and created my own radio show with my name attached to it, I have to think about and worry about, say I do ever leave this station, can I take my podcast and the subscription that I built up on all my platforms that my podcast are on and take them with me? Or will the station own that because the station owns the radio show, which consists of the contents of the podcast? You know what I'm saying? So he told me straight up, like, coming into it, do your own thing, still work your way up to however you got to work your way up, but always have your own independent thing because none of this stuff is permanent. You never know, you know, how long it's going to take for you to go or stay or how long you'll be around. But when you always have your own platform independently, that can't be taken from you. You can always lean on it. And it's definitely done wonders for me having this podcast. I tell people this podcast has been more valuable for me getting other opportunities than it has been just all out valuable for me doing it and trying to like build it out. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, I've gotten so many other opportunities because I just had this little podcast right here. And, like, every a lot of people come into the game thinking that they're going to do all the biggest numbers, and you're not. You know what I'm saying? Like, most people, if you don't already have a, a huge following, like some of the people that we already named, you're not just, it's not just one day you wake up and do a podcast and now everybody's going to follow you. Yeah, you might have a bunch of people listen to the first episode or the first two episodes because they nosy. You know what I'm saying? But these are your first episodes. You, sh you should get better as you go. But they won't be around for that part because they just listen to your first couple episodes as fake support. Oh, man, what this cat doing over here? Let me click on it, see what he's talking about. And now you're no longer a part of their daily or weekly regimen or however it is that you lay out and schedule your podcast. But if you keep the thing going, you start to get more relationships by way of the podcast. You get more interviews. You interview more people. And now more opportunities start to open up. And then you go and you start utilizing those platforms and bringing people that you meet on those platforms right back to your independent podcast. That, to me, is a much more viable formula than thinking you just going to get 100,000 subscribers overnight and blow up. Stupid. The shit don't work like no, that. No, no. You know what I'm saying? So if you're not in it to play that long game, like you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure here in, in, in a lot of ways. You got to really be committed to it and understand, let me use this to leverage more opportunities and then gain from those opportunities and bring it back here. Not let me try to build this up as my it's all in all. It's the warrior's journey, man. Yeah. Shout out my literature people. They know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So, and that, I just like, you know what I like about it? I mean, I've been rocking with you the whole time just because I, I mean, you're my dog, but also like, I just like what the podcast does. It, we're, it's a documentary at yeah. the same time, it's a living documentary. For sure. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a part of that. A long term project. Long term project. Like, yeah. That is a labor of love and commitment and discipline, and I just I I appreciate stuff like that, so that's why I'm here. No, you know I do I mean? too. It'll be something that I'll be able to leave behind beyond my years, but also even like now, I man, I get so excited when I have professors tell me, "Oh yeah, we used your podcast and one of your episodes as a part of a curriculum for my class." So, like, it's working in ways that people don't even think about because all they care about is the numbers and how many subscribers you probably ain't going to ever get. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it's so much more well, that, look, that that this can do for well, you. Well, I mean, that's the thing about where it, it could get scary. I mean, if you take the route of just being like, oh, I'm going to be a culture vulture and try to make my, you know, like a content-driven, vapid product – then you're just going to contribute to how it, it probably turning into bullshit, just like everything else does. But, yeah. you know, and so that that's tough to come in. And that's probably why Bomani got out of there and was, and, yeah. was, and was booted out because the whole time I've been thinking like, dude, even, even when Skipper was CEO at ESPN, yeah. when they started those layoffs right before he left and it was like, I have no idea what the criteria is that they're using to keep talent around at that company. Right. Cause like every time there's a layoff, you'll be like, that guy is, is they're firing that guy or that gal's going like, damn, they were like one of the brighter spots on there. And so For it's like, sure, is on your the talent evaluation team asleep at the wheel over there? I don't know. And, and it really, and it, there it goes circles right back to what we're talking about. You have to pay to get the talent. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, and if you can't figure that part out, then pay somebody who can do that for you too. 
like because the New York Times are doing Athletic. They're probably exactly. giving them a little fee because the Athletic does yeah, get right they relatively good talent. Like no, and, and they they do in that regard. I know a lot of people that work at the Athletic, and that. But you're just building. You know, it just sucks because you're just building more machines. If, For sure. You know, you're just building another machine. That's all you're doing. For sure. And that's why it comes down to us utilizing them. Yeah, that's why it comes down to us having an independent platform, utilizing those machines to be able to just dump right back into your independent platform and then grow it from there. Um, let's you, see. Here. It's cool. It's cool for me. I make it shake. I'm saying if it's you, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, you know for sure, I mean? for sure, definitely. Um, I guess we gotta acknowledge Bronny James. Um, Bronny James, the son of LeBron James. Um, went into cardiac arrest during a workout at USC a couple days ago. Um, it was well a few now. It was on Monday. The news came out Tuesday. I was I was live on air when the news came out. Um, over at six twenty over at iHeart. Um, they say he's okay. He's in stable condition. And then there was another report that came out today as we're recording this on Thursday now, saying that he is out of the hospital and back home recovering. Um, first and foremost, obviously, sending all the healing energy to that family, to Bronnie, of course, but obviously the trauma that the family is going to have to endure with their loved one having gone through that at just a young 18 years old. That's scary, you know what I'm saying, in so many more ways than one. Obviously, anybody going into cardiac arrest is scary, but anybody that that looks and seems to be as young and as healthy as he is, that's having the success that he's having in his own right as a young athlete to just go into cardiac arrest at practice. Now you're always going to be wondering, A, why is it that he went into cardiac arrest that way? And what is it that he may have to deal with long term? You know what I'm saying? And, and, it's just rare. It's, it's something that we don't see too often. We see it enough. Like we've seen it before, but still like, it's a lot that comes with that in, in his future, yeah. not just as a player, but ultimately and most importantly as just a person. As a human being. As a human, for if sure. If he has issues with his heart, you never know. What, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, and, and the thing about the, the reason why per, in basketball is particularly scary is because all of the other things, all of the other times, notable times that that's happened, or at least the most notable times that's happened in the sport, people have died. Yeah. And so, you know, you just worry that, you know, that doesn't hinder, obviously, his longevity and how sure. long he can play. But yeah, just his health as a person—it's really scary. You, you seeing injuries on the on the basketball court and having a situation like that happen, where it's like, oh wow, this is a, a potentially fatal situation. Yeah, you know, it's hard to go back and play basketball sometimes after that. You know, a lot of times. The, the trauma of mental, you know what I'm saying, mental uh, uh, instances in your life where things are like, you know, really traumatic, they affect you in a real way and they can affect you, phys you know, physically. And I think that it's easy in the sports world to have a situation like that happen and be like, oh, yeah, we really need to take that seriously. But it's like you got to take all – you know, injuries seriously. Like yeah. you got to protect these people's lives. You know, and their yeah, livelihood. Their bodies. Their you only get one body, man. You got to protect their bodies. You only man. get one body. We got to protect sure. the body. How many bodies? Everybody. You know what I'm saying? And that's so. why, like, obviously, as an athlete, the, one of the first things that you always think. I mean, as somebody that played before myself, is like, how long is the recovery? When can I get back? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Even when Demar Hamlin had his situation with the Buffalo Bills. 
he wakes up and and is asking, did we win? You know what I'm saying? But yes. that's a real thing yeah. that you have to deal with is like you deal with whatever injury, regardless of the severity of it. And then the first thing that comes to mind for you as an athlete is when can I go back out there and play? And it's a mentality that I think could be beneficial in some ways because sports builds character in, in so many different ways that that you can't write on paper. But also at the same time, when you just look at the list of priorities and the fact that you're prioritizing whether your team won or not, while we all were just absolutely traumatized, DeMar Hamlin, because we thought we saw you die on the football field. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and whose and, and, priorities are off here? And there was I moment. don't think it's us, because the majority of us are like, we're oh really my gosh, we're scared for you, dog. And then you wake up, and your priority is on something totally different. You know what I'm saying? So, hey, But that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. about with the Le- LeBronny thing, like, that's what everybody surely thought, too, when that happened. Like, for sure. oh, shit, Bronny James just died. <laughs> it's you like, know you know I mean? what I mean? I mean you, and so that's really traumatic. It's traumatic. That's really it's traumatic. traumatic. For sure, man. So, yeah, no, nah, I mean... Again, Although, that, prayers up for him. That being Healing said, energy let's going see his the way. Jokes. Let's see the jokes on Twitter. I'm still going to watch all the jokes on Twitter. <laughs> not, yeah, X. Mean, I mean, yeah, hey. X. Yeah, it's a new name now, baby. It's not Twitter no more. It's Elon X. Elon but, X, But yeah, no, nah, man, like I said, I, you know, for me, it's like when he returns is when he returns. But anytime I hear cardiac arrest, it's like you got to sit the season out, champ. That's just me, though. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like your heart. You just got to sit the season out. You know what I'm saying? Even if you feel good, feel come back feeling all right, doing all right, whatever the case may be, like that season is out the window. So I mean, I'm not a medical professional, so I'm not know. either. But that's just how I feel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like sure. when I see that word or anything with the heart in sports, it's like uh, and then now I have been around people. I know somebody personally that I grew up with. I wasn't at the game when he went into cardiac arrest. But I, I know him, so I've gotten to speak to him about his experience having gone into cardiac arrest, and he was never able to play again. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I also think that kind of impacts and influences my train of thought, Damn. knowing that somebody that I actually know and care about who I've been in this basketball game with as a young high schooler at the time. We were in high school, and even you know when we're in college, like – this is somebody who I could have imagined being my college teammate, but he had to be the team manager because he can never play the game again. So for me, I kind of just go off the personal experience that I have with somebody that I knew that went through it and I never got to see them play again to where for me it's like you just got to sit the year out. I'm not telling him what to do. I'm not saying what he should or shouldn't do. I'm not playing the role of a medical examiner, none of that. But, hey, man, if it's me and I got anything to do with the decision, you sitting a year out, champ. Mm. How much that means or what? how much it matters, I don't know. But that's just where I stand, and I stand on that. Interesting. I, yeah. <laughs> that's, right. that's just me. It doesn't sound unreasonable. I'll you know, that's, exactly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's like that's, that's where I stand on it. So, yeah. again, wishing him the best. You know, we'll see how that story goes. Um, switching it up, we going political now. Shout out to everybody, everybody, everybody in the community that signed the petition Ah. from uh, Friends of PSR. Mm -hmm. In less than a week, we got over 10,000 signatures from Portlanders signing this particular petition 
And I just think it's dope to see so many community members step up in a time where things continue to get worse as far as like the housing crisis in this market, especially. And less and less is starting to get done to try to like help people out and build people up to be able to get out of that crisis. And so I feel like I've seen firsthand Portland Street Response be a model for folks that are going through mental health crisis on the streets and have been unhoused and living on the streets and that ending up in them ultimately being housed because Portland Street Response not only was able to help them during crisis, but was able to follow up with them, help them get on a path to be able to get housed and change the trajectory of their entire life. Why anybody would be against that? or would want to stop that from expanding, beats the hell out of me. But we got to that point here with city government. And so, yeah, man, this coalition, Friends of PSR, stepped up in a major way. I kind of told y'all it was coming uh, down the pike because obviously I, I knew a lot about that coming into it. And, you know, I've been in communication with a lot of these people in this coalition as an advocacy plan was formed, if you will. Mm. But 10,000 signatures in, in less than a week, that's not bad, man. That's pretty good. Yeah, I was like 7,000-something. 7, 7, yeah, I think I was like 7,000-something. Nah, I was probably a little, probably a little earlier must have been that. before that. Yeah, but but either way, it's at 10,000 now. And I mean, so, and I, you know, I, I hope that it keeps getting passed around just to avalanche them. Yeah, they're trying to stop it because I think that, you know, there's enough business people that are really that don't have a very good mentality about the homeless people. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? and they have an influence and, on the yeah, economy so, of this community. And I don't, I don't like the I, I, you know, funnily enough, I happen to know a couple of business, you know, people in Portland that I play golf with. Right. That we do not share the same views about Portland Street Response. For sure. And. I, you know, at any time that we talk, it's, we, we haven't, we do not agree with each other. I'll tell you that much. For right sure. Now. And it's funny because, you know, <laughs> I just, it's, it's so close to like with these dudes that I play with, like, it's so close to what we do, our lives, the livelihood and like the heart of our lives where we play golf and the, and what we see, how close it is to our communities, his business across the street from a place that we both Sometimes it's like yeah, frequent. It's just sure. like it's so ingrained in the heart of the of our lives that you have to inject heart into it, and you can't be so cold and calculated about it, and just and and act like you know like a like a landlord, you know, like the people are underneath you. You have to you have to inject humanity into it, and the way to do that is through advocacy, and that's what Portland Street Response is is. You know, and it's born out of of, best at yeah. It's it's born born out of that too, yeah. And so it's and so it's just like to it's to me. There's no other argument against it. It was a people's project. That's what has to be done. It was a. I mean, as somebody who was as somebody as closely connected to Portland Street Response as myself, because I was a part of the the advocacy planning that made it a plan to presented to city hall and then ultimately getting funded and becoming a thing. Like I was a part of that. Like heavily a part of that it's like this wasn't a project that was just some social media voting in or just you know what i mean just something random that just sounded like a good idea this is a project that we went to the people with during the advocacy process and the people backed it and the people were with it but 
you're never going to be able to execute it if your plan is completely different from the plan of the people that wanted to see it executed in the first place. And that's ultimately what began to happen. You know what I'm saying? So it's like everything that this model was supposed to be, you basically are like straying away from it. You and I sat in the office with Senator Wyden a week, a couple weeks ago on Capitol Hill. And, and when we talked to him about it and his whole stance was I created funding federally through the cahoots bill. The reason why I called it the cahoots bill, because I wanted it to follow the cahoots model. Even with what we did at Street Roots, introducing it to Portland, shout out to Emily Green, who wrote the article, and then myself and Kaya San, who saw how much traction the article was getting and was like, oh, shit, we got to do more and, and come up with a plan. You know what I mean? And our vendors being able to help us and assist us with that because we're able to come up with this plan and start working on things. But now we need them because, A, we need their input, and, B, we need their assistance in being trauma-informed and creating a plan about a community that technically we're not even a part of. You know what I'm saying? And so we went directly to them and got the feedback from them. And we got the feedback from other community members. And now all of this feedback we're got, we've gotten, we're basically just straying away from it now because why? <laughs> I think in your case, you kind of explained it. A lot of the reason is because the business support, the support that, the current city council that we have here in yeah, Portland and the connection me, that they have with the business I people rather than just the people in their community. Stuff gets stolen. For sure. I, I, that's whack. That I hate it. I've been through it. Yeah, it sucks. And it didn't feel good. It sucks. You know what I'm saying? It, it like, <laughs> I've but, but gotten like, my window, but like, I mean, it don't feel good. My, my thing is, it's like, you know, when you hear hoofbeats, you got to think horses, not zebras. And what I mean when I say that, like, you're standing there with a restaurant a dude that lives outside that is eating out of the trash outside is like at some, maybe at some point he breaks into your, to your spot. Have you ever thought about like firing up the grill and making something and going out and handing it to him? Yeah. And be like, Hey bro, my name is whatever. Could you please not smash my window? Yeah. And can you watch out for my built Cause something, my spot and make sure. sure nobody else is smashing my window and let me know. It's, think, so that way I at least know what's going on. About it. You know what I mean? Think to it's think, a, I see it every day. Dog. Of humanity about it. For that's, sure. that's what we're talking about here. You yeah. Know? And when that's when we talk about advocacy, it's like, we're talking about like, go and talk to people. Ask them their name. You got to. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to go directly to the community. Like, you, you. And if you're not going to do it, if and, and you know what? If you don't want to do that as a business owner, well, then back Portland Street Response and back these programs. What the thing here, is, though, what they'll the thing do it is, for you then, if well, that's what you want. It's crazy because what it is that they're backing is the very exact system that led us to where we are right now anyway. Right. Oftentimes... They're backing the police, oh, that's the and they're back. So but but this is what them. you so, gotta you know, understand. That, but, but but clearly, this is what I mean by that. It's a capitalist system, whatever whatever you want to say there. But what I mean by that is, oftentimes they believe that more policing is the answer to getting people off the streets. These people ain't getting off the streets and going and doing life in jail. They going to jail for a couple days. There's capitalism in that and them getting admitted into the jail. But guess what? They're going to go right back on the streets with a shit record that's going to make it to where they don't qualify to get off of the streets. And guess what? They got to come smash your window all over again. And now it becomes a cycle because you have these Same people. Sorrow. You know what I'm saying? You have these people and you're saying, arrest them, get them out of here, send them to jail. They're not going to jail for more than 30 days. 
So if you send them to jail for however many days and now again you put another blemish on their record to where they won't be able to have access to more resources and they're going to jail. That's the reason why we even built Portland Street Response Out was because from 2017 to right now to, or to 2022 is what we have the numbers for. 2021, excuse me, is what we have the numbers for. Over 50% of the arrests that's happening in Monoma County is homeless people. So they going to jail more than anybody else. But the crisis continues to grow. Why? Because you think the answer is to send them to jail and that they're going to learn their lesson in jail and they're going to come right back out and have even more obstacles to overcome because you just got them sent to jail for little to nothing to get whoever wants to get paid, you know, off of the fact that we have jails in our society anyway, and now they're coming right back and doing the same shit, and there's more of them, and there's more barriers, and here we are in the predicament that we're already in, and the solution that you think is the solution is the very exact solution that's leading to the crisis increasing. So it's like, it's a backwards frame of thinking for a lot of these people, because it's like, I'm going to tell you right now, the police ain't the answer. Getting people sent to jail ain't the answer because they're going to just come right back and have no choice but to do it again because you just created yet another barrier for them. When you could have actually helped relieve some of your stress by knowing, man, I got this cat, man, I'm going to let him, you know what I mean, watch out for my spot. I'll make sure he's good, make sure he's fed. That way I don't got to worry about no break-ins. And even if I do have a break-in, Somebody can get, you know what I mean? They gonna, they got to deal with him before they break in my spot. Or now I can become more informed on who really are the people that's doing the break-ins out here. Because they don't know, and I'm telling you, when they get the reported to the police, the police ain't doing nothing about it. Like, that's what's happening right now. When it, Especially, like, car theft, car breaking. Get your window. I tried it. I called the police after getting my window busted just because, not even because I wanted to, but just because I didn't know what else to do. I called them just for them to tell me, um, go online and submit a report. Oh, so I can't even talk to y'all. Y'all just want me to just submit yet another report so y'all have more numbers of how many thefts are happening, but y'all not going to help me, like, try to figure this figure this out here? Okay, all right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, like it happened to me. All right. <laughs> it happened to me. It happened to me. That's exactly went. what they told me. Oh, we don't we don't take we don't take police reports for window for no. window burglar anything like you just got to go online and fill out a report and then and if then you, you figure it out that and, and the cold part company. was because I do the That's work in do. the streets, I literally went and did my own investigation and found out who it was that busted my window. I had to do my own investigation, but it's because I know these people on the streets. I knew who to go talk. Hey, hey, you know, such, 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 such. Oh, yeah, that's such. And I went and I was able to find the dude that busted my window with not a lick of help from the police. Not a lick of it because they're not going to go find them anyway. It's not going to happen, bro. So, yeah, man, it's just the mentality's got to change. And I think, as you mentioned, it's just got to be more a mentality that is more humanistic, if that's even a word, than, you know, what it is that you're going through individually and not considering the people and the humans around you because you're only considering yourself and what you got going on and, and how you're being affected. But really, these people can help assist you in that way. And again, I'm somebody that's, I'm a housing first advocate. I'm somebody that does not operate by thinking that, Living on the streets is habitable. 
It's not something I would ever want to do. I'm not saying that there aren't people that do think living on the streets is habitable, but I'm not going to go out there and, and say, oh, yeah, just I'm not that dude, but I'm also not a kick the can down the road dude either. If you're going to do something about it, do something about it to where the wind not going to blow the can right back over here, and now we're dealing with the same patterns and issues all over again. And that's the problem that I think city and local government is having and finding legitimate solutions to get people housed and keep people housed, whether it be wraparound services that's necessary and just getting creative with making well, sure that's a priority and that's what happens. That's why around here we're trying to bounce them out as quickly as possible. <laughs> that's why. You see that charter reform? You see what they're doing with the charter? And, oh, man, our, I mean, we talked about it obviously last week, but yeah, it's some politicians that's, that's been trying to just – break that thing down and it ain't even been implemented oh, yet. Oh, you know what? I wanted to do something last week, but I forgot. I wanted to make fun of Mingus Maps a little bit more just because <laughs> I know that when he runs for mayor, he's going to have stupid slogans like, Portland needs directions. Choose Maps. I know it's going to be some yeah. lame ass, so I'm just saying that now, so when it happens, I have Zeb pull the tapes yeah. and I can flame yeah. him further. Having so a, just, yeah, trying to I use just, his name to flip I know he's going to say some shit. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's just, man, you are corny. So I just want to say that now, and then we'll check the tapes here. That's sometime. interesting. I, I'm, I'll look out for that, too. When we get well, I guarantee We're you. We're only a year away. It's, you're, it's you're election year it, 2024 you're next year. Some, I, I know it. You so. think it's coming, huh? Yeah, and I know it's good. I'm just saying is I'm just starting with making fun of his campaign because I know it's going to be stupid and not creative. So yeah. start there. What you been listening to lately? Dude, I've just still been, I was actually thinking about it today. I'm like, even still, because SOS was released like for to be for next this year's Grammy consideration. Uh -huh. And I'm still like, that's the best RB album of the year. I still don't see anything coming through and touching it. It's so good. It is a good it's album. It's so magnificent. You the think that's the best RB album man, of the year? It is so it is good. good. The production is just like scissors is elite though. And it's and and it it's runs so perfectly. It's, there are just like three song runs of just like masterpieces. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, she has you know her own issues musically, but whatever she's going to next, I don't even care. She's got to go somewhere next to to talk about Scissor for a second because that was like the crystallization of her sound, and it's just Easy like lead. perfectly executed. It was. I really awesome like Masego's album. album though. Masego, it's, it's great. He, it should be nominated, I believe. It'll get it a should nomination. Be, should be a Grammy nomination. Um, I'm, I'm Passport Bros is on repeat. Every time Boz and J Cole get together, man, they they just figure it out like that. What I love about it is like we obviously know J Cole for being like an elite rapper, but I think Boz takes J Cole out of a box that most elite rappers aren't willing to go into. But, and this guy's an elite rapper, but also the reason why I think his artistry transcends a lot of elite rappers, no, is Drake. Oh. Drake has been the person that's willing to go dig into he's, the Afro beats. He's, he's going to dig into Latin shit, even though he can rap his ass off. But like Drake is willing to like expand his palette a little more and go international, you know, with his contents and with Drake his music. Kelly. Drake Kelly. I feel like Boz <laughs> brings that out of J. Cole. You know what I mean? Like, Boz oh, is the yeah. artist. When they collab, it's like, 
all right, Boz brings a whole nother sound and a whole nother like international element to J. Cole, who is a phenomenal rapper, is a phenomenal artist, makes phenomenal music, but sometimes because He's the rapidy rap. He's the lyrical miracle guy. You know what I'm saying? He kind of gets stuck rapper. in that space. Yeah, he's a lyrical. He's your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like he's one of those kind of people that he don't want to get too far away from that because then he'll be cu- getting called corny by people like you. Yeah, I was you know say, what I, mean? I don't really like the rap like that. I was just about to say <laughs> he'll that. He'll be getting called enough. corny from people like you, dog. <laughs> I was just about to get on him, too. All right. <laughs> but that Passport Bros, it's a hit. It's, it's a summer vibe. Yeah, I know you played that. Yeah, it's you, a summer vibe for sure. I, I've been off that a lot. And then, I don't know, man. I, I've, I'm so inundated with music at this time of the year that I don't really have a favorite. And I don't, again, for. I, I just be dancing, bro. I just be dancing all I just summer. be spinning and I just I, be mashing I know, I've shit been there. up. I be I like mashing it. shit up. <laughs> I like it, man. I like it, man. It, I'll mash up Portland the most needs, random stuff Portland right now. Needs more better DJs and I hope that they come. But yeah, that's why I go to your shows because I'm like, I'm trying to dance. Yeah, the mashups, the mashups go crazy, man. You got anything else? I mean, I, I'm I'm cool, man. I'm good, man. I feel good. You know, you've been golfing, disc golf. I've been how's your disc? disc I'm how's throwing, your disc golf game looking? I'm throwing mad far, dude. I'm throwing mad far. What what is considered mad far? I don't. I don't. For, I'm not the disc mortals, golf guy. For mortals, like I just, I'll, I'll say it like this. I just started touching like 350 to 400 feet, okay. and for like the first 10 plus years of me playing. I could never get past 300. It was just like, that was my max. Got it. And now I'm just able to put the disc like upwards of 100 feet further. What was it? What is it? Just reps that, that or did I you get stronger? So. Or like no, what? I think it's just reps, man, because it's so, like, it's just, it's just, you. there's so much movement in like the form off the tee that it's so much shit can go wrong. Yeah. So I've just have, I've just gotten to the point where I've made less stuff go wrong to where it's like, all right, now I can kind of get this thing. It's, Do you know, have to make the form more like compact, like a shooter, for I mean, example? Like a, if we're talking in basketball terms, you know, feet shoulder width, elbows in, you know what yeah, I mean? Straight yeah, up and down on the jump. Oh, like, yeah, 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 you yeah. don't want your elbows out uh, and if shit all over the place because the ball's going to go all over the place. That? Or in this case, the disc is going to go all over the place. Yeah, you have to have, yeah, exactly. But I mean, you're, you're throwing in so many steps. It's not like a jump shot where it's like set. Yeah, so. I mean, I know it doesn't look like a jump shot, but I'm just saying, like, does your form have to be more compact to give you, like, better, I guess, acceleration now that you're yeah, a 350, 400-yard de- disc thrower. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's got to be way smoother, and I would say slower. Really? Yeah, slower is better. Slower well, is better. I agree with that, but and with a jump better. shot, a lot of shooters, that's the problem. It's they want, the- they think they could just come out and be quick, draw McGraw. Nah, you got to lock in these fundamentals, and the only yeah. way that you, you're going to do that is to it's slow down. Slow then down. you'll build it out and become yeah. quick, draw McGraw, because it's going to become be muscle so memory. That yeah, it'll, just, it'll become muscle memory. Yeah, and it's it's cool, man. But, you know, you probably have to throw a disc hundreds of thousands of times to start to get there. So I, I guess I must have. I play a lot, dude. I'm outside every day. I get up at like 5, 6 o'clock in the morning and, where, and I go play. Is the sun even up yet when you go uh, when you get out these there? These days, yeah. Yeah. In the wintertime, it's not. But you have that's you why throw I, in the dark during the wintertime? Or do you got to wait till later I'll to throw start? at like before, right before dawn. That's when I'll go out, and then you'll just kind of like, you know, there's certain places where it's like I know where the disc is pretty much going to end up, so I can go over there and find it. But you don't want to play in the dark. You can't play glow disc, though. That's Got pretty it. tight. Anyway, yeah. it's going to be tight. I'm thinking about getting a uh, PDGA number and, like, competing. All so right. 
All so right. see what's up. So we're just gonna lose you over here on the podcast, cause so you can go get your ass whooped. <laughs> no, dude, because I'll be no, but because I'll be so bad, because I'll be so bad, <laughs> losing you, we're losing you early. on wake up and win, no, so no, you no, can see, go throw disc and lose. No, no, look, because I'll, that- <laughs> because I'll be so bad, they'll put me like early in the morning to get me out of the way. Yeah. so I'll be done. Okay, well, we don't record we, till, till four p.m. Yeah. All right, all right. So I'll be fine. You won't even know that I played. I'll all just right. come back all mad. You're like, what's going on? I I lost again, dude. Dead laugh. For sure. Say less. Well, on that note, we're going to get out of here the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go go win. win.